Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So joining myself today is Sean McGurr, AI evangelist at Data IQ and co-founder of Halfstack Data Science. Sean has over 15 years experience working as a data practitioner and leader across multiple industries, including official statistics, academia and consulting. Sean also recently achieved minor stardom in a documentary, Data Science Pioneers, coining the phrase, things happen 35% of the time, happen all of the time, to explain why quite likely outcomes are often dismissed out of hand. Sean believes that the toughest part of doing data well, and I agree with this, is finding uh, the right questions and ensuring the answers actually push a lever to change the world. A theme developed in this podcast, Half Stack Data Science, recently uh, returned for season two. So welcome, Sean. We're delighted to have you on AMX Speaker podcast. Thanks very much, John. Thanks for the invite. Pleasure to, pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Brilliant. So, Sean, most important question for our guests on Fika is always coffee and a cake with friends. Um, what are you, a coffee or tea drinker? And what's your, what's your favorite cake? In the morning, coffee, and yep. in the afternoon, tea. I used to drink coffee in the afternoon, but now I can't. It keeps me up. As for favorite cake, oh, I'm probably happy to eat anything, but something with a non-aggressive fruit tone would be my my favorite so not too sweet a hint of something usually a pretty good compliment to tea in the afternoon good choice good choice yeah i'm on the um with a turmeric and ginger going very healthy so sure it's really great i mean having having you on board we say to a lot of our uh, sort of guests that uh, you know where you where you end up in your journey is is kind of sort of serendipitous it'd be really great to sort of kind of hear about your career today and how you sort of uh, navigated through to end up you are today. Would you really share with us your journey um, with our guests? Absolutely. I was just talking to a, a brand new colleague earlier and who asked, so how did you get into tech or data or whatever it is that you do now? And yeah, it's uh, looking back, you can see the, the pathways and you can tell the story of how you got to today. Uh, but sometimes thinking back to when you were at those decision points or when you were at those points where you got this bit of luck or were privileged enough to take advantage of that opportunity. And then you reason forward, you start to realize there are there are a lot of other places that, that people can end up. So uh, for me, the initial spark that I think got me here was just being pretty good at mathematics in high school, uh, not knowing why that was important because I didn't want to be an engineer or a physicist. And so towards the end of high school, I started to care a lot less about mathematics. And then right between high school and starting university, and at university I studied law, political science, history, Russian. Uh, Right before starting, I had this job at the official statistics agency in in New Zealand, where I'm from, Statistics New Zealand, on their census program. And I had a couple of weeks holiday job doing what turned out to be 
data management, data automation type tasks. Uh, and, and the story I like to tell is that on the first day, I was given two printed out lists of numbers. And they asked me what numbers are in list A, but not in list B. And it was a list of mesh block codes or something, you know, census data related. And I uh, didn't want to rock the boat. So I kind of sat there and the ruler and compared the two lists and struck out different numbers to generate you know, the, the, the output. And, you know, that was that was fine, but it was very boring. And I realized there's probably a better way of doing this. And uh, that was when I, that was the spark of the power of automating things to give you the opportunity to work on more interesting questions. And um, I, I think that's a, critical component of anyone's journey to being a great data practitioner. They need to care about great questions because great questions get you good answers. Um, but to get the time to ask the great questions, you need to create that time in any job that you have because a lot of data work is busy work. So in that holiday work, I was focused on automating data busy work for myself and other people. And for a long time, my academic interests in how the world works through social science and this sort of data thing I was doing were completely separate. And then at some point I, I got into my head, I wanted to be an academic and went off and did a PhD in the United States in political science. Uh, and the reason to do it in the States was that that's the place in the world where social science is the, is the most quantitative. So that fused together things that I knew how to do from my two worlds and, you know, uh, allowed me to ask very interesting questions um, that continued through my PhD research. But towards the end of my PhD, I realized now I don't want to be an academic having invested all that time. That was at a point when this phrase data science was taking off and I was in the right part of the ocean when the wave came along with just the right skills and was lucky to ride that wave a little bit, did some data science consulting. Uh, this, this was by now back in New Zealand. Um, all kinds of data consulting, again, data management, data modeling, predictive analytics, uh, all kinds of things, including back in sometime back in official statistics. And then came to London in 2016 as the first data scientist of Cox Automotive, which was where I was working until February. Uh, first data scientist there, then led the data science team and then the data science and the BI team um, working in the automotive industry, which is not super mature and its use of data, there's pockets, but a lot of it is based on gut feel and a lot of the things that people say about used car dealers are quite close to the truth. And so uh, we made some impact and I learned a lot, uh, but was really happy to join DataIQ in, in February uh, to be an AI evangelist, which is just using the experience that I've gathered to um, identify and articulate the value of data science and of Data IQ to our customers, but also talking at events like this, talking at conferences, meeting people. Uh, I'm always learning. The more people I meet and I hear about what they're doing. Oh, thanks for sharing that. It was fascinating. And just interesting with that role when you said you, you went through the first data sort of scientist in that new industry, how did you manage that uh, piece between, I suppose, people's expectations of what they're expecting from sort of AI machine learning? Was that a difficult thing? It was very difficult because on the second day in the job, that I just moved around the world for, I realized these people don't need a lead data scientist yet. <laughs> right, okay. There are some 
more fundamental things that we need to do. And again, I was lucky that I was not coming straight out of some data science programming, having come straight out of something else. I had this long experience of slowly accumulating lots of different things. And so I was able to get my hands stuck into all of the important stuff that needs to happen before you can do good data science. So that when a few months later, there was really a need, I was there and had played a part in putting the groundwork in place. The wrangling or such, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks. That's a fascinating journey. Thanks for sharing that with us. And Sean, when we, we last spoke, we mentioned about some of the challenges. I think it's not it's not just the NHS, but industry as a whole, I think, need to be aware around um, sort of challenges with AI governance and regulation, especially as we start applying these new sort of AI and machine learning technologies. What do you see as sort of some of the key challenges that we're going to sort of have to probably come across and start thinking about addressing? Obviously, everyone is concerned about privacy to different levels and with very good reasons. And that's tough enough for a consumer-facing business. But, you know, the data that the NHS holds on people in different parts of the NHS and sometimes in centralized parts, you know, it's, it's really valuable data. A lot of people would like it to fall off a truck and into their hands for various various purposes. And so I think that is a huge challenge that is of a sort of qualitatively different level and nature for the NHS, that what a data analyst, data scientist needs to be thinking about in CPG or manufacturing or automotive, you know, there's reputational damage, there might be fines, there might be problems that emerge for that person, but NHS making the similar kind of misstep to someone else in how data is treated, will, you know, will have much more catastrophic um, consequences. And I understand that well, because, I mean, the first training in data collection I got was through official statistics. And so it was all about how do we maintain the social trust, the social contract necessary for people to give up the data which they hope creates future value for society and, and trust someone they've never met to protect the most uh, intimate details about them. And so for, for me, not having worked directly in healthcare, that is definitely something that I see the NHS has um, particular challenges about. From my experience working in, in the public sector a lot in New Zealand, in agencies that, you know, had similar challenges, not quite to the depth of, you know, NHS data. What what would be a shame would be if that stops progress on the things that can still be done very safely. Uh, there's always some level of risk, right? It's, it's always relative, but a, a lot can be done with data, you know, aggregated data that's not being done today. And part of the reason is because people are afraid of uh, whether they've adequately implemented privacy controls at an individual level, they might be fearful of even using aggregates. But if things are very highly aggregated, then there's drastically lower privacy risk, and they'd be ashamed to lose that value. And the other problem that can emerge is that you, when people have really high-level concerns about privacy, sometimes there's an illusion of privacy that's created by paralysis. And so some of the assumed current protections or assumed level of privacy guarantees might not be resting on very much. 
and might not take very much to puncture without anyone doing um, anything wrong. And so, yeah, privacy and security kind of by paralysis, by accident, are even more dangerous than that's worse, giving something a go. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's, that would be my one. And then the other one is as, you know, so that's in, in health, the, the data is so valuable, precious, you know, it just needs to be thought about so yeah. much carefully. But then applying AI and machine learning to that takes all of those standard things that people compare, care about, explainability, bias, to a whole other level. Because now we're talking about algorithms might lead to people dying and living, right? Again, if you're a drinks manufacturer, you might sell more or less stuff. Quite a different kind of risk uh, threshold there. Fascinating. Now that the explainability and the, the bias thing is going to be quite quite a big challenge, isn't it? As especially if we can't explain why the algorithms or the outputs are doing what they're doing, that's a, that's probably one thing, isn't it? As well, and I suppose some of the the data, I suppose, goes back to what your, your other earlier point, wasn't it, about doing the back end work of the data wrangling, making sure the data is relevant of the population. But a lot of the data, the training models we're using or developing today could have been built on in unintended bias or data sets. Yeah, and I I think that the research around explainability and bias detection from a technical perspective mm. is great. We definitely want that, but those problems can only be addressed by kind of thinking holistically about what was happening in the world that we want to influence and how did that flow all the way from data collection and all of the dozens or hundreds of decisions made by always other people that generated the data set that I'm now looking at. And if we just focus our effort on, given the data I'm looking at, how do I make that result as balanced as possible? Well, that's, you know, you're still going to get bias and problems without any real malicious intent, except the sort of negligence, perhaps, of not digging into where does this data come from and how well does it describe the thing that it alleges to describe, given the purpose that I have. A really good point. Really good point. And Sean, it'd be really great, some of the work we, we've spoken earlier on uh, when we last spoke about, some of the great work you, you and the team are doing at Data IQ that you have underway. It'd be really good to hear about kind of, you know, the ambition that you mentioned when we spoke about the, the ambition of Data IQ. And I think you've got something, is it called your Data Science Studio? And the benefits of what it can do for, you know, uh, analysts who are interested in that area and also for NHS organisations. It'd be really good to sort of hear because I thought some of the stuff that you shared with me was quite insightful. Yeah, DataIQ is our company, and Data Science Studio is our is our single product, and it's uh, it's an AI data science machine learning platform. Uh, and the most interesting thing about it is that it's our vision is really for everyone to be able to use it. And so, we like to say, in in our platform, both clickers and coders are first class citizens. They're equally important to us uh, because we believe these new techniques should not exist in some island, some isolated innovation team or some black box sequestered away from uh, the business and reality. Hopefully it's obvious why, uh, but all those things I was just saying about explainability, bias, what are we doing, why are we doing it, how well are we doing it? It's very unlikely that you know an elite team of completely disconnected data scientists will be able to protect any organization against those risks and that's even more so for for NHS and so we're kind of uh, equally happy to be helping people not writing any code 
pull together the data they need, prepare it for machine learning, and then go through various assisted uh, machine learning flows, sometimes called AutoML. Um, and we're equally happy for people who are really advanced at data science to write code that might become a plugin in the workflow of those other people. And so that's our, you know, our, our, our big value is in pulling together these data teams that may have different uh, levels of skill, right, to help people collaborate better um, across those skill divides, across those functional divides that sometimes emerge, usually emerge, always emerge in, in, in data teams between engineers, analysts, and scientists who, end of the day, are really probably working on the same handful of questions. Um, yeah, and what we're doing with uh, with the NHS, talking to a, a bunch of different organisations at different levels. So, uh, the larger scope is um, will become a strategic partner of the Analyst X um, community. So, on the Analyst X uh, workspace on future NHS, there's more more to learn, and and uh, along with one of our cloud partners, we've uh, put together a uh, an instance of DataIQ for people to log into and do the online training we provide, but uh, in an environment that doesn't require anyone or anyone's IT to install anything anywhere, uh, which which can be which can be a challenge. And we're yeah super keen to see how people uh, see how well that that idea and and that product resonates with with people. We think it could it could be great for solving uh, some of the enduring challenges that you know really are tougher to solve in a context like the NHS. Well, thanks for sharing that. It's a great uh, collaborative environment, isn't it? Like you said, as we're bringing people together on that journey, whether they're a coder and or a clicker, but can get an easy introduction safely. And it's a safe environment as well, which you mentioned, yes. which would be good. Sean, and finally, you know, regarding sort of uh, data science, what do you feel on your journey that's been sort of one common myth about kind of the profession as it's evolving um, that you'd like to sort of debunk? Have you had any thoughts on that? So many myths. Uh, they boil down to this thing that this field has consistently done ever since the words data and science were put together in a sentence, which is massively overestimating and over-portraying the level of technical knowledge, qualifications, letters after your name, prior experience that you need before you're even allowed to get anywhere near a keyboard. And so sometimes that manifests in the most perennial and most annoying of all data science questions. Do I need a PhD in something before I can be a data scientist? So at this point, I don't even like the fact I just said that out loud because <laughs> people might hear the question and not listen to my answer and they go, no, it's not for me. Um, and I happened to get one along the way in my particular journey here. And I learned some very important things that can be learned elsewhere. The most important things I learned from my PhD can be learned anywhere. I learned them in a particular concentrated, uh, expensive way <laughs> in terms of not earning real money while I was doing it and, you know, and then not deciding to go into academia. So, uh, but the things I learned were useful and they can be learned on the job. And so, the, yeah, the biggest myth to puncture, a little bit consistent to what I was just saying about with DataIQ is Anyone can start. It's not like it was 10-ish or even five years ago. Anyone can start. 
there's lots of great ways into the field. Uh, and yeah, the second season, as you mentioned in the intro of the, the podcast that I run with one of my former colleagues, we specifically wanted to interview people with so-called non-conventional backgrounds. Uh, it's a little bit ironic. Any data scientist over a certain age has a non-conventional background because data science degree programs didn't exist. And that should maybe be one of the hints that the answer to the PhD question is no. And the answer to how I get started is find some data and start working with it in your job. Yeah. And what a better place to sort of have a double around with your platform as well, which is quite a safe and intuitive. Yes. And what better place with more interesting data and real questions than NHS type, even population yeah. health data, right? You know, so without getting into any dangerous data, the, the people that work in the NHS, you already have such great questions. Unlike some people who might have tons and tons of big data and are just struggling to actually find a relevant question. All of those are completely clear to everyone working in the NHS. So you, you, anyone who's working with data in any way in the NHS has a huge head start in terms of the motivation that's going to drive them to learn those skills. Brilliant. That's really great advice. That you know, anybody can start start anywhere. It's you don't need that PhD. It's, nope. it's probably never a more exciting time, shall I say, with all the access to you know learning and education that's there. It's it's kind of what people sometimes term as ultra learning. But as you mentioned at the very beginning, we're always learning, aren't we? And yeah, it's evolving so quickly. It's these bite-sized pieces and just apply your knowledge. But no, it's fantastic. Thanks for that feedback. It's been really great to sort of hear, hear from your experience and just talk about, just recapping what you're saying about the power of automation, really, really good. And, the, and I like the, the fact that you said about the journey, you know, you brought the two worlds, wasn't it, of data and social science together. So anybody starting out, no matter where they are, whatever world mm -hmm. they're in today, they can bring bring along and, and that piece about always learning. But I also like what you mentioned as well about the privacy piece, about, you know, from an NHS perspective, maintaining that social trust, the importance of that are so so, so vital, isn't it? It's really, really good. And then the piece about, you know, um, a call to action, I think, you know, you don't need a PhD. And I would, I would have, uh, uh, sort of point everybody to have a look at the Data IQ platform for NHS on, on Future NHS. It's a really good platform to have a look at. Um, and, it, and it can help people get on their journey. Uh, and as you mentioned, there wasn't anyone can start anywhere. So, so yeah, people, yeah, I'd advise people to have a look at that. But no, thanks for sharing that. And Sean, finally, you know, outside your passion, your two passions for data science and, and finding the right questions to make changes positively to the world, what do you do to relax if you if you have time, that is? Uh, reading books is something that I got back into after yep. finishing my PhD four or five years ago. When you're doing a PhD, sometimes you feel guilty reading books to relax because you're supposed to be reading things for different purposes. And then travel is a uh, uh, a passion that I'm about to start. Again, uh, yeah, in a, in a few days, heading to France for the first time in 18 months, maybe. So that, that'll be fantastic. great to see what that is like crossing <laughs> a border again. Brilliant. That's fantastic. And Sean, how can people follow you on your, uh, can they follow you on Twitter and LinkedIn? Yes, on LinkedIn and Twitter. If, yep. you, if you spell my name correctly, there's not too many of, of me. <laughs> uh, you can also uh, listen to the Half Stack Data Science podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're sort of on everything. First season right. is me and my former colleague, David, just talking about our work. Second season is a bit more coherent and it features right. these really interesting people that we know from interesting backgrounds. And then on DataIQ's uh, Egg on Air video website, I recorded something for them late last year called the Data Science Food Chain. A little bit of a yep. tug-in-cheek, but hopefully um, informative uh, 
piece on some of the different personalities you might meet out in the world of data science. Fantastic. And I also saw recently you had a, you had a video uh, introduction to economics of AI with digital leaders, I thought it was in June earlier this year, which is yes. really good as well. Yeah, yeah, we've been, we like to say things that others are not for obviously yep. obvious reasons as a commercial organization, but also just selfishly as someone who's been to lots of conferences. If I'm there presenting something on behalf of a technology vendor, I want people to come and listen to me for some reason other than a demo or a screenshot. Yep. Uh, you know, we, we want to talk about things that we think people are not talking about enough uh, yep. and, 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 and encourage people to think a different way. And so the economic, economics of AI theme is another one. And in the upcoming conference season, we're pushing on a bunch more of, of those. So Fantastic. Championing change. Yep, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, no, it's really great to have you on board, Fico, and we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. But thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the future.